Okay, <clears throat> so we continue in this uh, short series on the family and this is actually the last of the message in this series. It's just a three-part uh, series. The last two are online, by the way. They're on YouTube, thanks to these guys who are working on it now. But they're also on our website if you just want an audio file of it. Uh, but feel free to send it out to people. Uh, it's a scripture. It's, you know, hopefully encouraging and helpful uh, to them and to your family as well as it is to ours. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the last one in that series and we're looking at the other relationships in the family and you got the flyer from me so you know what we're talking about we're talking about the in-laws we're talking about not outlaws in-laws i know that's an old joke but i just had to say it uh we're talking about in-laws we're talking about grandparents and we're talking about siblings which we'll spend a little bit of time on at the end not too much but i think there's some significant things for us to consider uh this morning and so, you know, I, I, as I was thinking about it, I thought that these, these are some of the things that aren't usually maybe talked about or, or um, taught from scripture. Uh, these relationships, we do talk a lot about marriage and parenting, but maybe not so much these. And I feel like these are, uh, this is such an area of need also, uh, often an area of great conflict, uh, often an area of great misunderstanding, I think. And so hopefully it will be helpful for you as we look at uh, the scriptures. Now it's interesting because the scripture doesn't say tons specifically on these things, right? It, and so you have to actually glean it out of, or you have to infer it from other parts of scripture. Uh, but I think it, it says it by inference at least, or, by, or is implicit in what it's saying about family, uh, that these relationships are also to be considered and to be understood biblically, all right? And so let's uh, jump in. And we'll talk first about in-laws. We'll talk first about in-laws, we'll talk about grandparents, and then we'll talk about uh, the siblings uh, at the end uh, this morning. So the first one that we're going to speak about is about the in-laws. And being an in-law uh, follows, becoming an in-law, let me say, becoming an in-law follows an important part of parenting which is preparing our children to one day leave, right? We talked about this, I mentioned this last week. You know, we spend so much time nurturing, caring, all of these things, but an important part of parenting is preparing our children to one day leave our home. And that's not an easy thing, but it's a crucial responsibility that parents have. Now, the biblical reason uh, for this is that your children one day need to learn to obey scripture and to take responsibility for their own lives and their own families. They've got to become responsible individuals in that sense and take care of their own families. And so I'll give you a couple of texts uh, as we talk about in-laws. The first one is Genesis 2.24. Alright, don't look at Ephesians, we'll come there. Uh, don't jump ahead. I should have put on another slide. I know you're all looking at that and now I've said it also. Alright, Genesis 2.24. Uh, this is what it starts off with. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the husband and the wife shall become one flesh. Now that's not an easy thing for parents to hear. We've spent 25 years at least of our life 
taking care of our children from the time they were little infants and this is where you need to milk it with your kids you know I, I cleaned your diaper I saw all the rubbish I cleaned your nose when it was dripping and all that stuff right and we've done that for our kids from the from their infancy when they were little helpless babies and we've seen them through their physical development we've seen them through their emotional development which kind of strikes a little bit later on and there's all the turmoil of adolescence and you know all the stuff that you got to deal with and, and help your children get through and then you you go through the college phase the work phase and then finding a life partner my goodness that's a big thing as well but we spend so much time investing thinking about our children we we, we spend a lot of mental time uh, doing that and then we have to let them go so that they belong to someone else and I, when I say that I say that both to men and to women husbands and wives you let them go so that they belong to someone else and they become devoted to someone else not to you they become devoted to someone else the wife no longer looks to her dad and oh dad you're my everything no no she looks at the husband and the, the husband is no longer looking to his mom, hopefully not, but he's looking to his wife now and, and you know, and, and, he's, and he's devoted to her. And then of course, added to that, there are the fears that we have as parents as to what kind of a person our child is going to marry. What kind of a person are they going to marry? When our daughters get married, we hope that they will uh, that, that the man that they marry will be kind and loving and that he will take care of her in a gentle loving way and when our sons get married the mums hope that the daughter-in-law will feed him well that's the big thing right he's looking so thin it's the worst thing that daughters-in-law like to hear right he's looking so thin because the mums want to know that he's being fed well and I know I'm generalizing over here stereotypical stuff but that's okay but our responsibility as parents is to prepare our children to leave and then let them go once they are married because they are to become one with their spouse the two shall become one in our Indian culture it's not just two becoming one it's two families becoming one right and some families live in a joint family system not all but some live like that and and so in that system the spouse the spouse usually the wife joins not just the husband but the husband's whole family right and then and, and there's all sorts of permutations and combinations and things that go on over there and some of it is for practical purposes it makes financial sense to do that uh, it, it maybe the parents need their elderly they need the care and they need the, the, the presence of the children so there are those practical considerations of course but it's important for us to understand that also in the light of scripture when it says that a man not a woman interestingly a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife we do it differently over here isn't it but it says a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife now this is a culture very similar to our culture the Jewish culture of scripture and probably even present times is very similar to an Indian culture where family connections are very very strong and it was necessary uh, you know and so the, the you know they had all these relationships going on 
But in the midst of that, it was necessary now for the man's focus, according to scripture, according to Moses in the Old Testament, uh, the man's focus and dedication to be his wife now and his own family unit. And that's what scripture is emphasizing here. You got to change your focus, man. That's what he's saying. Your focus, you leave your father and mother and you cleave to your wife. You change your focus and your devotion, so to speak. The wife doesn't join you in your devotion to your parents. You change your devotion to one another as husband and wife. And then together you care for both your parents. That's biblical, I think. And I hope I'm not, you know, trying to throw my own opinion over here. But I hope we can see it through scripture and what scripture is telling us. And that's why I said a lot of it has to be inferred and understood from the things that are being said over here. That's what scripture, I think, is emphasizing. But the second text that's on the screen is Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I haven't put the whole thing, but just to put, put a portion of it. That's the great marriage passage. And in fact, Genesis 2, 24 is quoted in Ephesians, uh, in this, in Ephesians text. And here's what he, he says also in Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Uh, and I'm uh, taking this as a little bit of a, a point that we're going to make, right? Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now here's the problem. It's difficult to obey this scripture if men don't leave their parents. It's difficult to obey the scripture if men don't leave their, leave their parents. Because how will they ever lead their own homes? It says over here, right, that the husband is the leader or the head of his home or his wife. He provides that leadership over his family. And the sad thing is that many men remain under their parents' authority even after their marriage. And they expect their wives to do the same. They expect their wives to do the same. And I tell you, it causes so much confusion. Who is the wife supposed to sort of, to use, I know it sounds really bad, but to, to look up to, to listen to in that sense. The husband or the father or the uncle, or I don't know, there's many people in the home. It's possible, right? It's confusing. And who's the husband supposed to focus on if there's so many other people around in the family? It causes and We've seen it time and again. And a number of in-law problems, in problems stem from this. Usually from the husband's family, particularly his mother toward the wife. But it does happen the other way also. It does happen the other way when the wife's parents don't think much of her husband or his ability to provide for the family. And so the father of the girl may often step in to take care of things, totally undermining the man, the husband. You understand, right? The other side of it is also possible. They almost don't expect the marriage to work because we don't think much of the guy that she's married. Someone has said, he says, behind every successful enterprise, there is a supporting wife and surprised in-laws. Because it worked, my goodness, could it actually work, right? 
And so that happens as well. It goes both ways. And, I, and we've seen both sides of it as well. It's, there's often the, 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 the daughter-in-law that has a lot of struggle with her, you know, her in-laws, particularly her mother-in-law. And there's often a lot of struggle that the son-in-law has with his in-laws, often his father-in-law, because the father-in-law has provided for his child all his life. And now you're going to take care of her. Have you seen yourself? Something like that, right? And so he wants to step in and take that role as well. Now this is where if husbands and wives can understand scripture and God's design for marriage in bringing two people together to set up another family unit that serves and glorifies him, then a lot of problems can be solved. If the husband understands that his priority is now toward his wife and that she is first and he defends and protects her even from his own parents sometimes then it will only strengthen his marriage likewise if a wife understands that her priority is now her husband and that he is first and she shows her own family how she honors and respects him it will strengthen their marriage because scripture calls us to do that a man will leave his father and mother and i think likewise a woman will leave her family and cleave unto her husband and so parents once your son or daughter is married let them go there's many of us that are you know our age over here our kids are still sort of moving in that direction we got a lot to prepare for, right? Got to prepare to let them go. Some of you are ahead of us. You've already let your children go. And that's wonderful. It's a great example to us as to how we can do it when our time comes. But don't interfere in their marriage. Don't interfere. Let them sort things out. Every marriage goes through difficulty. Every marriage goes through struggles. I remember Sharon's parents saying to her, you know, they said to her sometime, they said, if you ever have trouble with Chandran, sort it out and then come and have coffee with us. Don't bring it here. You sort it out and then come and have coffee with us. And you know what? It's, it's lighthearted, but it says so much to me as a man. It's so affirming to me as a man. It gives me confidence as a man in that relationship that they trust me and her to figure it out. Rather than take sides, which parents do, rather than pull, you know, they, they sympathize with their own child and they find fault with the, the spouse, that just doesn't help. It destroys a relationship, it destroys a home. And you as a parent of a married child have a responsibility to keep their home together, not to take sides, not to try and split them up in any way. Not to try and gain your emotional comfort by them you know, sort of being with you. Make sure that their home is strong and established. And this, by the way, needs to begin early on. Even if you've got young kids, be thinking about this early on. Because you prepare your child to one day grow up and leave. And manage their own home and their own life. Teach them to be responsible. Not disconnected from you. We'll talk about that in a moment. Not disconnected from you. But responsible for their own home and their own family. My goodness, you're not going to be around forever. And you don't want to leave them in a position that when you're gone, they don't know what to do with their life. Teach them. 
to be responsible husbands and wives and parents to their own children model it for them teach them how to do it you've done a great job if you can do that and that starts early on in the way you speak about marriage in the way you model marriage in the way you teach them to pre prepare for marriage and pray for marriage and pray for their future spouse it begins early on as parents when we do that when the time comes it will be much easier it's never going to be easy but be much easier to let them go now on the other side you have the western idea of in-laws or parents of a married couple and that's also not quite right over there it's the other extreme when they don't even consult their parents about marriage the parents get an invitation in the mail please come for our wedding it's on such and such date it does happen you know that it does happen and so they invite them to their marriage and they don't really want them to be involved in that sense and that's the other extreme uh, and like we discussed last week there is much wisdom to be gained from our parents and it is good for us to seek their counsel and you've got to go back and listen to that message um, but I want to go on to a, a little bit more of a positive side of an input that in-laws who hopefully one day God willing become grandparents continue to have in the life of their family all right and so there's that aspect we've talked about and I it must be carefully considered you want to help your children live in obedience to scripture man leaving his father and mother cleaving into his wife and then that family unit of the husband and the wife like Christ in the church something like that to exist you need to help foster that in your child's life and in their home but we want to go on and talk about um, when in-laws God willing become grandparents that's a good phase uh, to consider as well and and the Bible has uh, a fair bit to say about that actually uh, a few different verses that I was studying and preparing now the unfortunate thing about grandparents uh, is that they are not often not often and it, it varies the home to home but not often seen as an important part of the life of a family they may be seen as an extra non-essential person to the functioning of a family in some cases you know couples try to stay as far away as possible uh, from the grandparents of their children and if we must live close by or together then grandparents are nothing more than caretakers for your child or they are playmates for your children so we kind of reduce their role uh, to that someone has said you know having a baby changes the way you view your in-laws I love it when they come to visit now they can hold the baby and I can go out and that's how it's sort of viewed right we move from that and we say oh we're great grandparents let's dump the kids on them let's get on with what we want to do and so they become sort of a, 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 a commodity that you use when you want and they're reduced uh, to that <coughs> because your life is so busy and you've got other things to take care of for some grandparents exist so that both parents can work now I have to say over here that in all these things there's nothing wrong for grandparents to have these roles to be available for the family when parents are working to be available to take care of the children to play with them to nurture them all is absolutely fine but when they are reduced 
to those things as a commodity in that sense that's where the problem is that's where the issue is when their worth or value is reduced just to those things rather than them being an important part of the health and growth and maturing of the family now on the other side and maybe this doesn't happen so much in our culture but i don't know if some people think like that in our culture some grandparents are happy to have nothing to do with the grandchildren and the and the children they're like we're done man this is our holiday time you know we're going to and i think it happens in the west a lot we're going to buy a caravan and we're going to go off and once in a while we'll visit you but it's your headache now and so they're off they're spending their money they're indulging themselves and they probably i don't know somehow understood that this is the season of my life that i can indulge myself with all my savings in that sense and i don't know if that's if there's any season that a christian should be self indulgent in their life we're called to community we're called to nurture and to build and to serve and to to be involved and engaged with one another much more so our families and so maybe it doesn't happen so much in our culture but it's worthwhile putting that out there as well that that's the other side of it where grandparents don't want to be involved in the lives of their children now the bible has important things to say about this and so uh, firstly i want you to notice that uh, it is a blessing from god if you get to enjoy your grandchildren listen to what psalm uh, proverbs 17 verse 6 says grandchildren are the crown of the aged grandchildren are the crown of the elderly beautiful beautiful verse your grandchildren are a crown that adorns your head a symbol of honor and blessing remember that in the in the, the jewish culture was and is a lot like ours and it values family and respects the elderly and in some ways what he's saying over here grandchildren are the crowning accomplishment of all the hard work that parents have put in to raise their children to one day take care of their own families it's a crowning accomplishment it's almost like saying you've done well you've done well look at your children now they have their own children you've done well and it's a crown i love that beautiful picture of it isn't it Psalm 128 verse 6 pronounces a blessing on a person saying may you see your children's children and so the bible speaks of being a grandparent as something of a blessing that you get to enjoy when you see your children's children you know after all that job went through in his life having lost all his children the lord god blessed him and extended his life to 140 years or so so that he was able to have more children and see up to four generations of his children and the reason why i put that in over here is because at the conclusion of job this is this is spoken of as a blessing in job's life that he is able to see four generations of children here's what he says and after this job lived 140 years after these events so he lived a lot longer and saw his sons and his sons sons four generations and the reason why it's put here is to say that it's a blessing in job's life that he was able to see and be a grandparent and enjoy generations of his 
Now, beyond these facts that, you know, it is a blessing and spoken of as a blessing in scripture, grandparents have an important role in the lives of their children and their grandchildren. Let me show you a couple of references from, uh, from, the, from the Old Testament in particular that speak of this. Deuteronomy 4.9, it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. So speaking to grandparents, and I'll tell you why in a moment. He says, uh, he says, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. So what you've experienced, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Teach them your experience of walking with God. That's what he's saying over here. Don't forget. Teach your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 4.9 Deuteronomy 6.1 and 2 He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So Moses teaching the people that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, with all the days of your life, and all your, uh, that all your days may be long. Notice that he's, Moses is speaking to the parent, but he's saying, you have got to keep in mind a multi-generational thing. Not just with your own son, but look beyond and live and teach in such a way that your children's children are also walking faithfully with the Lord. Now that's not to take away the responsibility of the parents with their child. We talked about that last week, right? That's crucial. That's absolutely fundamental. That's the first responsibility. But that doesn't mean that grandparents have no responsibility to nurture their grandchildren. Now grandparents do this not just in word, but also in the way that they live, modeling it through their lives, through their experiences, speaking of their experiences. I love Psalm 78 verses 4 to 6. Here's what 4 and, and verse 6, two verses I'm going to read. He says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children and I want you to know there's like four generations over here right four generations in these verses that the next generation might know them and then you have a children yet unborn so there's children grandchildren and then arise and tell them to their children so great-grandchildren as well involved in this you see god provides and just to take it from this a four generation vision for families fathers children children yet unborn and their children and so god wants you as a parent and as a grandparent one day to think multi-generationally and he gives you a large vision to leave a lasting legacy in Christ that will last for generations to come don't just think you know my kids get them out of the house I'm done 
think multi-generationally. How are you preparing your children to teach their children to teach their children? How can you do that? How can you think about that? What a wonderful vision. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to tell of God's great works. Speak of your experience of what it means to fall follow God's word and then you're supposed to teach God's law which we saw in Deuteronomy teach his law teach the scriptures to your grandchildren what a wonderful role God has given to grandparents <laughs> I love the story of Ruth and Naomi one more thing to be said about this right and uh, it's just a beautiful story Naomi if you know the story she suffers loss when her husband dies and also her two sons and she was left with her two daughters-in-law uh, and only one of them decided to stay with her, Ruth. The other one went away. And, and so she goes through a lot of grief. Naomi calls herself Mara Bitter. She says, I'm bitter because I've suffered so much loss. But then they come back uh, to uh, Israel, to the place that, that their home, home town or village. And the story goes on and Ruth meet, meets a relative of Naomi and she gets married to him, Boaz, and she remarries in that sense, but this time a relative of Naomi once again. And it's like Naomi's own honor was restored. And so Naomi from being bitter is now someone who's actually, her bitterness is removed, she's rejoicing. And maybe the story should have even been called Naomi instead of Ruth. It seems more about what Naomi is going through in that sense. Through the faithfulness of Ruth, she is blessed. And here's what the concluding verses uh, say in that story. Uh, Ruth 4, 14 to 17. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So your grandchild is going to be a blessing to you. You see that, right? Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. But Naomi had something to do with that. And Ruth had something to do with that. And what you see is this wonderful relationship, not a relationship of conflict, but a relationship of three generations, Naomi, Ruth, and Obed, you know, coming together to honor the Lord in their relationships and how they served one another, how they nurtured one another. Just a great example of it. And we know what comes out of that, right? Obed, Jesse, and then David's family as well. What a generation they were as a family that honored the Lord. Samuel went to Jesse's home to find a suitable king for Israel. There was something about Jesse's home because there was something about Obed's home because there was something about Ruth's home because there was something about Naomi's home. And life that's how we got to be thinking as parents and grandparents as well as we think about it all right so that's in-laws grandparents and we'll spend a few minutes more to talk about siblings and I thought you know might be good to just touch on this briefly <coughs> for just for our thinking and our exhortation uh, this morning now uh, there are few relationships more important in your life than your siblings you know, after your parents are gone, you will have each other, God willing, to remember your family 
and the values that you grew up with and the conversations that you have and the memories that you have you'll have your siblings god willing and you'll also hopefully be there to support one another as siblings now the bible has important stories of how siblings treated each other remember cain and abel right the sad the first great sibling rivalry if you like and god warned cain in fact uh, of being jealous against his brother he says you you're jealous basically about your brother's sacrifice and he warned him he says sin seeks to have you but you must master it but cain went ahead and he killed his brother and i want to read what what's written over here in this little dialogue that happens between god and cain in genesis 4:8 to 10 Cain spoke to Abel uh, his brother and when they were in the field Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him then the lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother and he said i do not know am i my brother's keeper and the lord said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground am i my brother's keeper yes you are Cain yes you are and yes we are for our sibling we are responsible in some way that to care for them and i uh, my none of my siblings are in delhi and it's a sad thing we've grown up together we're close but they've all all out of delhi now thankfully they're in india but who knows that can change right but they're far away and at the very most we get to have a conversation on the phone uh once in a while and a you know i don't know when we last had a big family gathering in that sense together but i still am responsible for them because they are my sisters and my brother and they are to me in some way or the other as well because we grew up together what memories we have what treasures we have nobody else knows those in the world but us and so yes i am in that sense and of course you read on in scripture you have other examples of sibling rivalry you have jacob and esau my goodness what a traumatic one that was right and then you have joseph and his brothers and the way they send him off they try to put him to death and eventually sold him off what he went through and eventually he he forgives his brothers and he becomes a savior to his family and he shows special favor to them to them because they were his siblings he shows favor to them amazing even in spite of all of the pain and then of course you have the examples of moses and aaron and miriam who served the lord together now there was one instance where miriam and aaron you know they turned on moses and god dealt with them but they served the lord together what a wonderful relationship that was for them to serve the lord together And then of course in the New Testament you have Peter and Andrew brothers who were disciples James and John brothers who were disciples of the Lord and then you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus who were the friends of the Lord Jesus Christ close friends dear friends as a family lots of examples by the way in scripture lot of examples in scripture of families serving the Lord together nothing wrong with it wonderful thing to see if you can do that together with your siblings now the new testament in particular uses the language of brother and sister in reference to the relationship between believers you know we do that right the brother brother sister sister we do that in the church now that comes out of the 
the basic understanding of brother and sister it's using the reference point of the sibling relationship to characterize what church relationships ought to look like in other words it's saying that there is something special and close and unique and wonderful and loving and caring about sibling relationships that ought to be imitated by the members of the church toward one another and in that sense it lifts the relationships that siblings have brothers and sisters to such a place of honor and it tells us as the church to imitate that in the way we relate to one another that's why it uses the word brother and sister beautiful isn't it so there's something to be said about our siblings and our relationships with them and something to be maintained even when we move away and we get married and we have our own families to be maintained in the way we love and honor and care for our siblings for as long as God gives them to us to love and honor and care for them that sets a benchmark and, ex and an example for what relationships in the church ought to look like so you don't want to reduce that because everything else falls apart then that's important and so Paul says in one verse to close with Romans 12 10 love one another with brotherly affection out to one another in showing honor so love one another in the church by imitating what brotherly affection looks like you see how important that relationship is beautiful worthwhile for us to consider and it doesn't matter what your sibling is like it doesn't matter if they have different beliefs or different understandings of things it doesn't matter if they're a mess in their life love them be there for them care for them matters hugely more than anybody else in their life your presence will matter to them after mom and dad are gone especially i want to give you a moment now to just pray close your eyes and bow your heads and consider all that we've spoken about and um, each one of us are at maybe different stages and phases in our life. Some of us are grandparents here. Some of us are, uh, have you know, young kids that we're nurturing and caring for and one day have to send them off. Some of us have siblings who are still uh, alive and well that we can connect with and relate to. Pray for them. Maybe think about those people, those individuals that you have. <coughs> and pray for them. I'll give you a moment and then I'll close with a word of prayer. <clears throat>